What are we discussing on today's podcast, you ask? Well, we got to break down the D-back series win over the Oakland A's. What went right? What went wrong? Talk about Alec Thomas being sent down. What hasn't worked for the D-backs youngster? And then let's preview the next series against the Pittsburgh Pirates, all on today's Locked on Diamondbacks podcast. You are Locked on Diamondbacks, your daily Arizona Diamondbacks podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome into the Locked on Dimebacks podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. You're listening to who? The always charismatic host of this podcast, Miller Thomas. I'm a multimedia journalist and I'm a graphic designer, so please go check out your website. Go check out my website, MillerThomas24.myportfolio.com. On there, you can see all my latest work from my packages to my articles to my photos and my graphic design. If you want to see more content by me, just follow me on Twitter at CreatorThomas24 for my personal account, or look up Locked on Dimebacks for Twitter, Instagram for the podcast handle, and of course, thank you for making Locked on Dimebacks your first listen every day. I would not be able to do this podcast without you, my loyal listeners, sharing, subscribing, reviewing, doing all that so I could do this podcast for you. Thank you. It's free and available on all platforms, so please continue to tell your friends. One of those platforms is YouTube, so please Hit subscribe on the Locked on Dimebacks YouTube channel. I could not do this podcast without you guys. But let's start off this podcast by talking about the D-backs most recent series against the Oakland A's because this series was a lot more frustrating and more of a headache than I even want to be. But nonetheless, the D-backs were able to take two out of three from the lowly Oakland A's who, unfortunately, against the D-backs, did get their 10th victory of the year so then how the Oakland A's are in double digit ter- are in double digit territory with wins they're still only 10 and 35 on the season meanwhile the D-backs are a strong 25 and 19 on the year and at the time of me recording this podcast 6 30 p.m Wednesday night the D-backs are three games behind the Dodgers still in the standings um do the Dodgers play tonight I don't know I don't care. I'm not even going to look. Dodgers already won tonight, so that's why they're still three games back of the Dodgers. But D-backs, 25 wins at this point in the season. You got to feel pretty good if you're a D-backs fan. They also have more wins as the second-place team in the NOS, more wins than any team in the NL Central, so they would lead that division. And they only have one less win than the NL East leader, Atlanta Braves. So the D-backs currently have the third-best record in the National League, and are vying for the best record in the National League, which is kind of crazy. The D-backs would also be leading the division if they were in the AL Central and would be one win behind the Texas Rangers in the AL West. So the D-backs are right there among the best of the best. Really the only teams that you can't hold a candle to when it comes to the D-backs are the Tampa Bay Rays at 32-11. and Probably maybe the Orioles who are three games ahead of them at 28 and. 15 but with the Dodgers also at 28 wins the D-backs have a winning record this season against the Dodgers so it's like I know the D-backs can handle the Dodgers because I've already seen it so far this year so D-backs have won the best records not in the National League but actually in Major League Baseball plus 16 run differential on the year D-backs are looking strong and in this series against the Oakland A's ah I wanted a sweep but I'll take two out of three because of course let's just mention that game two real quick because game two for the D-backs was disgusting how they blew that game in extra innings I think that was the first 
D-backs extra inning game all season, potentially. Maybe they had one other one. I would have to go back and look. But the D-backs haven't played many extra inning games this year. And it was a case of the bullpen and poor defense for the D-backs in yesterday's game as to why it all fell apart. And mostly in that seventh inning because the D-backs are up four runs entering the seventh and the bullpen and defense gave it all up. And it felt like it was going to be a repeat in today's game or by the time you guys listened to this yesterday's game because the D-backs were cruising in this game after six the d-backs were up three nothing it felt like the d-backs needed to score more runs but it felt like they were in control of this game because ryan nelson was actually having himself a pretty solid start yeah his command was probably a little iffy because he did give up four walks but his stuff looked pretty good six strikeouts only one hit pitch into the sixth inning if he finished the sixth inning he would have been in line for a quality start his velocity was slightly up like I saw him dot up 96 97 a ton in this game I think the velocity being up for Ryan Nelson is a real positive and he seems to he seems to I don't know turning the corner but I think Ryan Nelson is getting a little bit better he had that pretty bad stretch where he was like giving up four runs five runs four runs but it feels like Ryan Nelson is getting a little bit better with how he's pitched recently because um, he gave up four runs to the Giants in his previous start. But in the start before that, only two earned runs. So now you look at it, it's two earned runs, four earned runs, and then no earned runs today. So it looks like it's getting a little bit better for Ryan Nelson's case. I want to see him continue pitch deeper into these ball games because he just hasn't pitched that deep into ball games enough this season. He has two games where he's completed six innings. But outside of that, this was his first start all year. Or this was his at least first start since April 15th, where he pitched into the six and got an out. He hasn't had that since April 15th, where he went six innings, one earned run against the Marlins. So just seeing Nelson pitch into the six is pretty rare. And today, he not only pitched into the six, he only gave up one earn, he only gave up one hit, no earned runs. And I just thought he looked pretty solid. Only had 82 pitches, so he could have even left Ryan Nelson out there, which probably would have been the smart decision because instead, Toy Lavello decided to go with Luis Frias, who gave up a monster home run in that seventh inning. And I could have told you Luis Frias was going to be the one to blow this game because that's what Luis Frias always does. This is someone that struggles a lot with hard contact. When have you ever, when have you ever seen Luis Frias pitch and not see him give up multiple doubles, give up hard contact, home runs, right, loud outs, or at least not have any command? Walk, dudes, right? He gets to two strikes and he's throwing elite curveballs but yet they're nowhere near the strike zone he puts dudes on and we got the full package today because he was he came in for relief in Ryan Nelson that six got back to back quits out got back to back quick outs but in that seventh inning walk Perez walk Peterson and at at that moment I'm like okay he just walked the last two guys Frias is obviously not in control you're already Got him to get the last two outs in the sixth inning. He did his job. Bring in someone that you know could get you out this jam. Instead, Toy Lavello leaves him in. Luis Rios gives up the home run, and that surprises no one to Ramon Laureano. And so the D-backs now have to find a way to win this game. After losing the previous one in extra innings, the D-backs have to find a way to win this game, and they were able to do that in the ninth inning. They load the bases. Jose Herrera, sack fly, Keta Marte. Tax on some insurance runs, and the D-backs win it with the Miguel Castro save. And it feels like maybe Miguel Castro, is he the best D-backs closer? I don't know. I don't mind Miguel Castro closing. I think I prefer him over Andrew Chafin because I do feel like 
I do feel like Miguel Castro's my most trustworthy reliever potentially right now. Kyle Nelson's up on that list. Mantiply's up on that list. But in the high leverage moments, if when I need that big strikeout, I need someone to close the game, I kind of feel like Miguel Castro might be that guy right now. But can you just look at it today? He only threw 11 pitches in that ninth inning, eight for strikes, and he got the job done. Miguel Castro has been a revelation for the D-backs this season. And there's been so many years where Miguel Castro had just been like a Luis Frias type where he has the nasty stuff, but he's just been erratic. Command's been all over the place. But so far this year, Louis, uh, so far this year, Miguel Castro has been really clean for the D-backs. And just taking a look at the offense from today, Ketel Marte, he got two hits as a pinch hitter for Josh Rojas, and that was huge what he did later in that game. Corbin Carroll had a monster home run. I said before this series, I wanted a Corbin Carroll home run. He hasn't hit enough of them this year. He was struggling before the series. It was a nice little get back on track series for Corbin Carroll. Christian or Christian, Christian Walker crushed another one today. Back-to-back games with a home run for Christian Walker. Guriel put in work. Dominic Fletcher, as always, put in work. But D-backs were able to get the victory after it looked like it was going to be a repeat of Game 2 with the blown lead in the 7th, and then maybe it goes to extras, and you just feel terrible to lose to the worst team in Major League Baseball. But instead, the D-backs were able to persevere and pick themselves up and Beat the worst team in baseball. I had to rally back to do it. But guess what? They were still able to win the series. Still able to take two out of three. Now the D-backs are six games above 500. And have one of the best records in Major League Baseball. I say it at the end of every podcast or at the end of every segment. I'm feeling good to be a D-backs fan right now. And one other thing that makes me feel good is the pair of pants that I'm wearing. Because right now, our new sponsor... Bird Dogs is a great place to do a little shopping for a loved one or even yourself because there's nothing wrong with treating yourself, y'all. And Bird Dogs sent all locked on, um, all locked on hosts a pair of shorts, sent us two pairs of shorts. And these things are some of the most comfortable shorts I've ever owned. They feel perfect for the gym. They're exactly where I want them cut above the knee, but not too short where it's showing off your whole quad. Just the perfect length above the knee. They're super comfortable. They're great for working out in. I think they have even like built-in underwear as well. So just great if you're an athlete like me. And the great thing about Bird Dog too, if you go to their website, use promo code LOCKDOWNMOB, They'll throw in a free custom Bird Dogs Yeti-style tumbler. That thing keeps your bevies cold and your soups hot, which is the most important thing. So please go to Bird Dogs, check out their shorts, check out their pants, and use promo code LOCKDOWNMLB and get that free tumbler, folks. Now, let's get back into the podcast and discuss a move that the D-backs made because we just talked about Luis Frias and how he's the last guy I want to see in a high leverage moment, right? Luis Frias is someone, you just watch him. If you just if you just told Luis Frias to go out there and warm up and just throw pitches, you'd be like, this is one of the nastiest pitches, one of the nastiest pitchers in baseball because his stuff is that electric. The drop on his curveball. The heat on his fastball. Like, this guy has nasty stuff. The issue is he doesn't know where it's going. 
The fastball could be anywhere near the strike zone. The curveball could be in the dirt every time. The problem is he can't command his stuff, even though it's nasty. And for the D-backs to calm up, they had to send down somebody. And they ended up optioning Alec Thomas, which was a little bit of a surprise because even though Alec Thomas is struggling, I didn't think they would send down an extra outfielder, at least not Alec Thomas. We've speculated that they could do it that they could do this, but I felt like it wasn't going to happen because it would have left your outfield a little bit short on the days where you want to go with that platoon advantage. Like, were you going to put Paven Smith in right field? And considering Alec Thomas is so good defensively, it was like, okay, I still feel like you'll probably ride Carroll, Gurriel, Fletcher, and Thomas as your four outfielders because if you drop Thomas, then it's like, if you need extra outfield depth, who's going out there to play? Are you going to put Ketel Marte back in center? Rojas or Paven Smith in right field? I don't think you want to do that if you're the Arizona Diamondbacks, but it seems like the D-backs might end up doing that because they sent down Alec Thomas to AAA just like they did with Jake McCarthy. And it's kind of crazy to think about it because entering the season, we were like, okay, Jake McCarthy locked in. This dude is a potential all-star this season. If you play fantasy baseball, this guy was like a top 100 pick. He was going pretty high in drafts. And so it's like we had big expectations for Jake McCarthy entering this season because of how good he hit the ball last year, his speed. And then he was sent down like three weeks into the season because he could not hit the ball. I'm currently looking at baseball reference. At the time he was sent down, 143 average, 467 OPS in 70 plate appearances. And then Alec Thomas entering the season, we're like, we know he had a down season last year, but his first month as a rookie was really good. We still know about all his hit tools from the minor leagues. We feel like that's going to bounce back. He's still an elite defender. Let's give him a little bit more time because this is someone that we was really in on when we did those prospect evaluations. And he's someone that we think of has a pretty high ceiling and is a real foundational piece for this outfield. And now... After 113 at-bats, Alec Thomas is batting 195 with a 579 OPS, and he's being sent down to triple A. And it just makes you wonder, why has Alec Thomas been so bad with the D-backs and what's been going on? So let's let's look at some of the numbers with Alec Thomas, some of the stats, and see why he's been struggling with the D-backs because not everything is bad for Alec Thomas. If you go to StatCast, one thing people love to look at is hard contact, right? Just how is the ball flying off your bat? And for Alec Thomas, it's solid. It's good. This season alone, 90 mile an hour exit velocity on all balls he hits. That's very good. Hard hit percentage, above 40%, around 43.7%. Around Barrel percentage, around 7%. Sweep spot percentage, around 27%. Like this guy, in terms of hard contact and getting the barrel to the ball, puts up good numbers so that's not the issue for him one of the issues for Alec Thomas is he hasn't really been a good he hasn't really been good against any pitches against fastballs he's batting 233 this season with a 433 slugging and that's the best pitch he's he, he does work against because against breaking balls a 120 average a 152 slugging, and against off-speed pitches, a 200 average and a 300 slugging. Fastball, he's all right at because when you look at expected batting average, it's 292. Expected slugging is 500. So the numbers suggest fastballs he's solid at. It might just be some bad luck. But against breaking balls and off-speed pitches, Alec Thomas just hasn't been good. And it's so weird because you look at his minor league numbers, Alec Thomas was crushing the minor leagues. In 2021, in AAA, he batted 369, 434 OBP, 658 slugging. In 2022, in AAA, he batted 322, 
397 OBP, 539 slugging. This was like the D-backs minor league player of the year his last season before getting called up to the major league level. And his greatest strength was his hitting tool, his contact ability. Because when you literally look at the MLB.com scouting report on Alec Thomas when he was rated the number two prospect in the D-backs organization in 2021, this is what it says. A compact left-handed swing that yields hard line drive contact to all fields along with an advanced approach fuels Thomas's projection as a plus hitter. And so far, he has not been a plus hitter. They even compare Alec Thomas to Corbin Carroll with how well-rounded their games are and how good they are as hitters with their approach at the plate. And so far, you wouldn't say that about these two players because Alec Thomas, Alec Thomas, I think, does have a good approach at the plate. But we are not seeing the success. And people use BABIP a lot of times to maybe show regression to the mean is coming. They're like, this guy's batting 280, but his BABIP is 370. So that means his batting average is going to fall soon. To me, I've always looked at it the opposite way. If you're batting 290 and then your BABIP is 350, that makes sense why your batting average is so high is because when you put the ball in play, good things happen. I don't just automatically think that regression to the mean is coming. And for Alec Thomas, his batting average, what did I say? It was like 190-something. His BABIP this year, 235, so it makes sense. When he puts the ball in play, good things do not happen for Alec Thomas. I think one of the reasons why is even though he has hard contact, which is something we love to see, he does not elevate the ball over his entire career or, you know, the two seasons he spent with the D-backs, he's got a 57% ground ball rate. This guy has to elevate the ball more. And you look at his launch angle for his career, 2.8 degrees. So this thing is barely off the ground. Alec Thomas is a little bit of a slap shot hitter, and he's going to get that. He's going to need to get that swing a little bit more vertical for him to take it to the next level. And maybe he needs to work with a guy like J.D. Martinez, who is so good at that because... Alec Thomas, and I wish the D-back got J.D. Martinez as their D.H. this past offseason. That would have been phenomenal. But for Alec Thomas, like he's a solid contact hitter. That's not the problem for him. I think he swings at the right kind of pitches. Only 30% of the time does he swing at pitches outside the strike zone. I don't think this is someone that's like just swinging at wild stuff at the plate. His chase rate this year is like 26%. He's dropped it from last year. So that's good. He's swinging at more strikes. So for Alec Thomas, I like his approach. I think he's doing the right thing more often than not. But he has to increase that launch angle and get the ball off the ground because all the hard contact numbers are there. I think the fastball numbers suggest he could be a good fastball hitter. And I think he could raise that BABIP. And I think it could be better. But for that to happen, he has to raise the he has to raise his swing and get that ball elevated because he just does not do that right now. That's why he hit into six double plays last year. He already has three double plays this year. That is just not good enough. With someone that has as much speed as he does, you just want him to get on base like around 36% of the time. And if he could do that with his speed, he would help out this team so much. And we just haven't been able to see enough of that from Alec Thomas. And it's been really sad. Hasn't been the start that the youngster has probably wanted to his D-backs career. But if he goes to AAA, if he gets hot, the D-backs will call him up eventually. But right now, it's Dominic Fletcher time because that dude has been so hot for the D-backs to start his rookie campaign. But that doesn't mean this is the last of Alec Thomas. An injury could call him back up. 
three weeks of smoking it in Triple A could call him back up as well. So I don't think this is the last that we'll see of Alec Thomas this season. And hopefully one day Alec Thomas gets hot so we could get a player card in So Rare because I want to talk about our new sponsor, So Rare, because it's a revolutionary fantasy baseball card game and marketplace transforming fans into owners with officially licensed digital cards featuring players from across all 30 MLB teams. Unlike other fantasy baseball platforms, So Rare managers truly own their fantasy experience, collecting, buying, selling, and competing with player cards against global opponents to win epic rewards. Win or lose, you still own your cards, and there's no cost to play. So Rare MLB game weeks happen twice weekly and span a three- to four-day cycle. At the end of game weeks, So Rare MLB managers who rank at or near the top of their leaderboards win a variety of rewards, which can include So Rare scarcity cards, game tickets, merchandise, signed jerseys, and VIP experiences like meeting MLB stars. Prizes may vary depending on the competition. Head to SoRare.com slash LockedOn, that's spelled S-O-R-A-R-E.com, to draft your team of free player cards, set your lineup, and start competing today to win epic rewards. Again, that's S-O-R-A-R-E.com slash LockedOn to start playing today. All right, all right, all right. Let's get back into the podcast and let's preview this next series against the Pittsburgh Pirates because the Pirates and the D-backs kind of have similar vibes going a little bit. I mean, the Pirates were one of the worst teams in baseball. Maybe I shouldn't even compare these two teams. The Pirates were have been one of the worst teams in baseball the last couple of years. They finished with 61 wins in 2021, 62 wins in 2022. So I'm actually not even going to say that they're even in the same ballpark. But maybe for this season, you could say that. Let's not say that historically or the last few seasons. But for this season, you can at least say they're in the same ballpark because the Pirates are currently 22 and 22 games above 500, which is shocking to a lot of folks because, like I just mentioned, they were a 60-win team back-to-back season. So the fact that they started this season so hot with above 500 record, it shocked a lot of people. But guess what, guys? You don't have to be surprised because the Pirates are starting to come back to earth right now. And real quick, just aside, in the preseason podcast, I did say I like the over on the Pirates just because I thought the Pirates were going to be like a 74-75 win team. I liked their lineup. I thought they had more talent than people realized. I didn't think they were going to be in the low 60s once again, but I also didn't think they were going to end the year with 87 wins like they were probably projected after the first month of the season because the Pirates are starting to come back down to earth now and will probably end up near my original projections of around 74 wins, which is where I had them in the preseason because the Pirates ended after March and April. The Pirates were 20-9. They were had like a run differential of like plus 40-something. Like they were one of the best teams in Major League Baseball. They were the cream of the crop in the NL Central. They were a lot of teams' darlings. They were the... The, they were the breakout team of the year. They were the unexpected team, the dark horse team, whatever adjective you want to use. But ever since April, the Pirates started to come back to earth because, like I mentioned, they were 20 and 9 after April. They are currently 22 and 20. So, what does that mean? The Pirates in the month of May have gone 2 and 11, and it's because their offense has gone cold over the last. 
28 days. The offense for the Pirates is batting 233 with a 685 OPS, at least at the time of me recording this at 6.51 p.m. on Wednesday night. And over the last 14 days, the last 12 games, the Pirates offense is averaging a 180 batting average and a 532 OPS with just 19 runs in 12 games. This Pirates offense is one of the worst in the National League because they score the fourth fewest runs. The only teams that score less runs than the Pirates are the Marlins, the Padres, shockingly, who just have not turned it around, the Nationals, and then you got the Pirates right there. So when you look at this lineup for the Pirates, there are a couple dudes you do have to watch out for. They don't want to get going. The number one guy that I would say is probably Brian Reynolds, who I've just been so tired of hearing his contract negotiations. I do not care about Brian Reynolds. I do not care what kind of contract he gets. He's a nice player, all-star level player, but this is not someone that we need months of negotiations of where is Brian Reynolds going to go. I do not need a wheel. I do not need one of those spinning wheels with 12 different teams of where is Brian Reynolds going to go. This is not a lottery or a sweepstakes that I think is going to make that big of a difference. So happy that the Pirates got to keep him. He's a good player, but I don't think he's changing life for the Pittsburgh Pirates. But so far this year, he's been solid, around a 290 average, over 800 OPS. He's got some pop. He's got some stolen bases as well. Brian Reynolds is definitely the best player in that lineup you need to watch. But Jack Suwinski is having a solid season. I don't know how much you worry about him. Um, Over 800 OPS. Connor Joe, former Colorado Rocky, over 800 OPS. And then Andrew McCutcheon, the old man, over 800 OPS as well. So those are the four best players in their lineup as it currently stands. I don't know how much Jason DeLay plays as a catcher, but when he does play, he has over 800 average and over not over 300 average and over 800 OPS. So those are the like the main dudes they have to watch out for in this lineup. But again, this lineup is not that scary. And if you get outscored by the Andrew McCutcheons and the Connor Joes of the world, then you deserve to lose this series. This should be a series where the D-backs win, take two out of three, of course, like I always say. But they need this will be a low-scoring series that the D-backs win where maybe they win a game four to three, a game like today, five to three, maybe they win a ball game two to one. Because even though this Pirates team can't score runs, they can pitch and keep themselves in ball games like that because this pitching staff is solid for the Pittsburgh Pirates. And if you look at their pitching splits recently over the last 28 days, which is uh, over the last 28 days, which is 24 games started, the Pirates pitching staff has a 3-4-4 ERA. And so this pitching staff is what has kept the Pirates around the top of the standings all season long. And the main guy in that rotation that's been doing it is Mitch Keller, who's having himself just a phenomenal Cy Young level season. 2-3-8 ERA, 9 games started, 11 strikeouts per 9. A one something whip, like a 1024 whip, just fantastic. The rest of the rotation, not too scary. Contreras, Oviedo, I think that's how you say his name. Rich Hill, like all those guys have over a four ERA. Really, who you have to watch out for is Mitch Keller in the rotation, who we'll see in this series, but we'll see him in game two. And I'm okay, I'm okay conceding game two with the Mitch Keller on the mound because right now we got Gallon versus Oviedo in game one. I'm taking that as a win. I'll count game two as a loss to Brandon Fott on the mound, and hopefully it's a good chance for Brandon Fott to bounce back. Not bounce back, because he's coming off his best start of the season, but continue 
the momentum going with his good starts against another team that struggles to score runs. But that's Mitch Keller in game two. So if we lose game two, I won't be mad because in game three, got Merrill Kelly. So I expect the D-backs to win two out of three. If you are able to get to Mitch Keller, the D-backs might sweep this series because Mitch Keller has not been good. But the bullpen is solid for the Pittsburgh Pirates. Most of those guys have a sub three ERA and David Bednar, their closer. If Bednar comes in the game to close, the game is probably over because he has a sub point one era with nine saves on the year a point a sub point eight whip almost 12 strikeouts per nine innings like david bednar has been insane this year one walk to 21 strikeouts and 16 innings pitch if he comes into the game the d-backs are probably going to lose but with gallon and merrill kelly on the mound for two of the three games. I expect the D-backs to win. I expect this to be a low-scoring series with how good the pitching staff is on both teams with who's slated to go. And considering this Pirates offense does not score a lot, um, we can't let them break out in this series because that would just be completely disgusting. So D-backs better take two out of three, and it better be the gallon and Merrill Kelly starts. And if they lose game two, I'm okay because Mitch Kell is on the mound. But I do at least want to see a good Brandon Bot start and want to see him keep the momentum going. Now that's it for this edition of the Lockdown Dimebacks podcast. Come back tomorrow for more Dimebacks news coverage and insight. We'll probably do a fun little topic since the D-backs have an off day. And as always, thank you for making Lockdown Dimebacks your first listen every day. If you do listen every day, put hashtag everyday in the comments section on YouTube. Don't forget you can catch every D-backs hometown pitch on their hometown broadcast when you search up Diamondbacks on the SiriusXM app. And as always, stay safe. Stay healthy. Doses.